Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Happy hump day. Front Row Knowles is here. Keith, good to see you, sir. We have times, Tommy. Times. Kickoff We have a times. start time. We have a starting quarterback. All we have left is to actually start the FSU season, Keith, but we're 10 days away. I mean, I feel like maybe it's going to happen. On Tuesday, uh, yesterday, Coach Norvell in his post-practice press conference via Zoom was asked uh, by someone that we both know that will remain nameless, and our, our listeners can probably figure it out. Uh, Coach, uh, are, you know, you're, you're practicing. We've got a, a start time, but are we really going to play? And you could see uh, Coach Norvell taken aback just a little bit, and he says, well, uh, that's a decision that – I won't make, others will make for me, so we're going to continue on just like we are. But that is in the back of everybody's mind. Well, that's a good point because mental acuity and mental toughness is something I want to talk about today. But since you went there, at fans, you know, some fans I think are going, I'm not really convinced we're going to play, so I haven't bought my tickets. And I'm on the broadcast crew, and I – I mean, I know when the games are, I have it on my calendar, but I'm still not necessarily 100% convinced it's going to happen. But right. if you think about the dynamic of a coach, you can't let that – you can't practice halfway. You can't let it creep in that if we play Georgia Tech next week, it has to be when we play Georgia Tech next week. Exactly. And, and I think that is something that obviously we won't know until some games get played and we have a chance to reflect back on it. But at least from the verbal communication that uh, has evidently been communicated, uh, this staff has been very in tune to that, to the point uh, where in Tuesday's practice, there were two or three kids that couldn't finish practice. I mean, that's how, how hard that practice was. So they're not taking it lightly by any stretch of the imagination, it would appear. So here's where I was planning to go, and we should point out that We'll talk about James Blackman being named the starter. But since we began on this mental 
uh, discussion. We'll continue with it for right now. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us next segment. We'll get more into that quarterback decision. You've heard, we've heard, fans have read, you've listened to us. The last couple weeks in particular, I think it's been noticeable in Mike Norvell's post-practice comments about the need for consistency or finishing or – well, both those two points, and to me, for all the struggles of the last couple of years, and you can talk scheme and coaching and players, I really think a big part of it was simply mental toughness. When the going got tough, the guys packed up their tents in some cases. So how much can you fix that? In one, first, do you agree? And then secondly, how much can you fix that? Because it really seems like a point of emphasis for Norvell. Well, I do agree. And I believe personally, and I don't think you would get Coach Norvell to ever admit to this, but again, in some of his comments during fall camp, you know, he's alluded to the fact that he personally, not his staff, but he personally was around the FSU program uh, leading up to the week of practice and leading up to the game in El Paso. And so he was able to see, and, and again, that we'll talk about that, how it did or did not affect the James Blackman decision. But I think Coach Norvell suspected and then saw that that indeed was the case. So as he put his staff together, as they started their off-season program, they only got three of them in, but as they started practices in spring and certainly fall camp, that has been a number one priority because – Again, I don't think he would throw the prior staff under the bus, but I think he saw that early on, and that's why it has been such a priority. It's one of those you-can-make-your-own-luck kind of conversations. We've talked about this over the course of the last two years when you and I would recap the games, Keith. You get the sense I'd be on the sideline, and it's like people just – they needed something good to happen. They're waiting for it to – and then if it didn't happen and it went the other way – then the wheels just came off the wagon. And I think more about the defense. It was, it was true both ways, but the defense has not been good the last two years, but I think it's for different reasons. Last year, I don't think they believed in the, the, you know, the system they were running. Two years ago, if you recall, the defense would fight hard for the first three or four series of the game, maybe into the second quarter. But the offense would keep turning it over at the 10-yard line, or and the defense finally would just say, and I say finally, it was still the first half, but they'd say, we're done. We went, we went hard for four series, but we're getting no help the other way, and it would just be a quit. So that, that to me is all above the neck. And you can hear the players again in their interviews and the things that they talk about, how the staff has told them, if it's a bad play, it's a bad play, get over it. Once it's done, it's done. you got to look at the next one. And that all fits into that same type of uh, uh, mental acuity. Acuity is not a word that uh, we use often in Wildwood. We've, used it, so tw- we've used it twice now in this first segment. <laughs> well, no, I only used it because you used it. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but it nevertheless, particularly in 2020, with all the other things that have been going on, being able to step onto that practice field, step into Dope Campbell when you scrimmage, step into Dope Campbell when you play a game, and, and put everything else out of your mind, and focus on that one task, one play at a time, is all mental. And I, I, I think you're on to something, and I would agree to you that that is agreed with you rather that that has been a focus and a point of emphasis. I, I want to get to James Blackman, but another thing I've noticed, he says it differently, but there's a lot of, and and people may take this the wrong way in terms of connotation. I'm I'm meaning on the positive side. There's a lot of Jimboisms in what. 
you hear Mike Norvell say about kind of what you just said and about how when pressure comes, you revert back to old habits and all that. He says them different ways, but it's some of the same things. Uh Oh, but you, you just misspoke. Those are not Jimbo-isms. Well, they're coach-isms that Jimbo... They're, no, no, no. They're Saban-isms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he and Belichick are, are the originators of those types of things. And, of course, Norvell has never worked for Saban or Belichick, for that matter. But I'm, I'm picking on you, but you're exactly right. Those have become the, the mantra and the truths of the, of the 20s, you know, 2001 going forward. Uh, and, and, and Norvell has appropriately bought into them. I would agree. Okay, James Blackman, name the starting quarterback. This is where the house money would have been and probably was all year because he had the experience compared to two guys that were coming in and didn't. I think it would have been a little more interesting if Chubba Purdy hadn't been hurt, but it may have landed in the same place. What's your thought overall uh, about James Blackman? as a st- He's now been named the starting quarterback by Jimbo, Taggart, and Norvell. Well, two things. Number one, um, and again, Coach Norvell would not say this publicly, but Blackman earned it, but he also got some help. Purdy's been out. Travis has been out. You know, the only person pushing him is the, is uh, is is uh, Tate. Yeah, Tate. Excuse, thank you. I was trying to think of his first name. I can never say it correctly. But Tate. So you could make, if you wanted to be a devil's advocate, you could make the case that he fell into it. And then you made the earlier comment about his experience and all that. It was very interesting because I've heard a couple of different times um, offense coordinator Dillingham talking about they didn't take his prior starting experience into consideration. It was not part of the things they were evaluating. They were evaluating from January of 2020 going forward. And it did not matter to them that he had started 20 games, 25 games, whatever the number is. And I found that very refreshing because, again, I think uh, that James earned it. I don't believe he fell into it, although he did get a little bit of help if you're going to be a negative naysayer with those injuries. But there is no question that he is a leader on this team. And uh, from everything I've been told, obviously you and I haven't been able to go out to practice as no one else has as well, but everything I've told has been positive, how hard he works. Uh, There's not been a mental letdown. He didn't assume anything. And uh, he has improved. And that was the biggest thing you and I took away from the Sun Bowl was, you know, he, he was continuing to make the same mistakes he had made two years prior to that. And, uh, again, I'm led to believe those aren't being made. So there has been improvement. We'll wait till the 12th, the final judgment, at least for one game. But he earned it. There's two sides to a coin, Keith, and there's two sides to this story. So if your glass is half empty – you would come from a point – I mean, you can, you can pick on James Blackman's flaws. You can talk about how he needs, he needs to be mentally tougher. You can't wear the emotions on the sleeve as a quarterback. you got to – because the team embodies what you do. But the flip side is – and this is being generous, Keith – FSU was not very buttoned up the last two years. No. Uh, uh, you know, a pass pattern that was supposed to be your break is at seven yards. Eh, it might have been a little loose and you're breaking at six or eight yards – that makes a difference when the quarterback's throwing to you. I don't think – are you going to see mistakes like that still? Some will be there. They're college kids. But you won't see the level or, the, or, or as many as what we've seen. If things are tightened up, that helps James across the board. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, another of the themes has been consistency. Consistency. The second scrimmage, 
uh, all of the offensive staff and the head coach were very disappointed in the offensive performance. They came back that next week in practice, and everything was about forgetting the prior play and doing everything consistently. And, um, you know, again, this is a time of year where everybody's undefeated and everybody's going to win the national championship. And, and we're all excited, appropriately so, to see what the product looks like on the field. That will be the test. What does it look like on the field? But I would agree and, and wholeheartedly support that there's been a mental uh, change and there's been a, um, a focus on discipline and consistency in everything that they do uh, that has been lacking over the last couple of years. I'll give you an example that comes to mind. It would not have changed the game because Florida was a better football team last year. But do you remember the pass where Tamari and Terry was free and he overthrew him by about 10 yards? Well, I remember watching it live, and in the route, Terry looked back, and it looked like Blackman was going to be sacked. And so the way it's portrayed now is Blackman overshot him by 10 yards on that play. But in reality, if you watch that full route, Terry slowed down. And so it looks like James missed him by a mile, but he really didn't. And I'm not picking on Terry, but it's those kind of things. Now, James did miss Terry in the Virginia game. Different story. (laughs) But – but the Florida game, if you actually looked at that route, you see Terry slow up just for a, a step or two, and that's why that ball is so far over his head. And, and that consistency and discipline in route running, uh, we've heard Coach Dugan's uh, – I mean, he, he sounds like a broken record. You know, when they ask him, well, how's so-and-so doing? Well, he's got to get better in his consistency of his route running. How's so-and-so? He's got to get better in the consistency of his route running. Like you mentioned, the break's supposed to be at 7, it's supposed to be at 7. If it's supposed to be at 13, it's supposed to be at 13. Not 12 and a half, not 13 and a half. And that, that type of repetitiveness, uh, you know, stressing it all the time, you know, even for those that maybe aren't picking up on it quickly, like me sometimes, after a while you go, you know, I think they really want some consistency here. <laughs> One thing that is consistent in this show, I mean, you and I are pretty erratic week to week, but our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, is just slow and steady right across the board. And he's in the bullpen. We'll get him out to the mound and we'll fire some questions his way when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We are great. As we began the show, we pointed out we have a start time. We have a starting quarterback. We're feeling pretty good. Ten days away. We're getting close. Not only that, and Keith and I didn't talk about this, Bob, but the pendulum has swung so much that now the Big Ten is getting railed for, for actually postponing to the spring, and they're trying to figure out when they're going to start. So I'm feeling more optimistic than I've been most of the year as we're, you know, a week and a half out. I think all it really took was the calendar to turn to September 1, and all of a sudden you've got a quarterback decision, you've got a game time, national TV. 
And yeah, it's starting to feel like football is coming up right around the corner. James Blackman. So Keith and I just talked about this. Your thoughts on Blackman as the starter? I think it's important to emphasize that Mike Norvell truly had two choices, two good ones. But with Chubba Purdy out due to injury, with Jordan Travis missing the two scrimmages, um, Coach Norvell had to take a long look at, at the positives and negatives of these two. And with James Blackman, it's really about um, softening the, the hard, sharp edges of his game. There's a lot there that you like. He's got to work on those emotions, keep those in check, not let one bogey become another bogey on the next hole type of thing. Um, he's also got to be a little bit better accurate, you know, work on his accuracy. And, you know, when, when all else is failing around him, he can't make those mistakes that bring down the entire offense. He either has to get the ball out or, you know, again, worst case, you know, take a sack, but, but interceptions are a no. So I think that's been the emphasis all off season with James has been valuing each possession, each ball, don't turn it over and work on those emotions and, and try to keep even keeled. So if we see a little bit more of that, um, I think that's what coach Norville really wants. And, and that's, that's really the big question going into the fall now. I think given the, the conversation or what has been said without nobody being at, at, at practice in order to see it, it was really the emotions and then protect the football, not protect the football and change the emotions, because for him, those emotions caused him to not protect the football. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, look, I'm not – I defend James maybe too much. I see a lot to like there. I thought last year he was the best option. I thought he was better than Alex Hornibrook. He threw a better deep ball. I see the positives, and I, I see all of those chances where he can put you in position to win games. Deal with James is don't put the team in a position where you are losing the game with those emotions, those turnovers he can't make those kinds of mistakes because Florida State's offense doesn't have the capability to overcome that. You know, now the advantage is you feel like the defense is going to be much better. You know, the scoreboard isn't going to be a shootout every week. You feel like the special team is going to be much better. You're going to put yourself in a shorter field. So I hate to use the term game manager, and I'm really not, but you don't want James to make those mistakes that come back to haunt you. Some of those mistakes, Bob, have been fundamentals and mechanics, though. Now, they may have been a product of emotion in that you're trying to hurry or you're worried about the offensive line. But if you're not consistent in your steps and your drops and your, and your release and those things, all of a sudden, you know, you've overthrown somebody or you're underthrown or it's in front or it's behind. Do we have a sense for how much that may have tightened up or will we truly know until, to use Gene's expression, toe meets leather against Georgia Tech? I think the coaches have been happy with, with some of those technique things that he's cleaned up. But I, I do say we really won't know until September 12th either. And when all else is failing around him again, when, when the pocket is getting a little tight, you know, does he kind of lean back on those old tendencies or has an off season with the new coaching staff, you know, has it been drilled into him? No, you're going to do it the right way. You're going to do it the right way. So we, we truly don't know. And, and I think a lot of it with James is when he has a clean pocket, 
He's about a 68% passer. I think we saw that tweet from, from David Hale, our good friend today. So it's a reminder that James is quite good, not always, but, but quite good when he has a clean pocket. The big question is when the pressure is, is really awful and things are just not going well, does he fall back into some of those bad tendencies, make some bad decisions, uh, you know, forced into a turnover and such? Contributing to that problem over the last couple of years has obviously been the offensive line. Uh, another one of those things that we probably won't be able to make any determination about until a game is played. But what are you hearing quietly? What, what are you perceiving as it relates to the improvement of that segment? I think we're in, we'll believe it when we see it on September 12th mode all, all the way here. There's going to be tons of skepticism. I think there are some pieces there. You know, Mike Norvell said today he feels pretty good about seven or eight guys. They've said all along through camp they want to get eight guys and then, and then go beyond. There are some pieces here to build around. I, I still feel really good. You've got two potential all-ACC-type blockers, you know, in, in Darius Washington on, on left tackle. Um, you know, right guard, if he's still at right guard, he could be moving around to, to left guard and Dante Lucas. So you feel like you've got some pieces there. It's just how much can those guys be five fingers in the glove? Are they communicating well? Have injuries taken a toll? Do they kind of know, okay, you got this guy, I got that guy. Who's, who's picking up what? Because it, it just seems like four guys were doing something right, a lot of plays, and one guy wasn't. And also the unknown is now with, with tight end Jordan Wilson out. He was supposed to be that guy who was going to stay home and be a big blocker. And now that falls to Cameron McDonald. So McDonald has to now back up, you know, both of the tackles. So there are still a ton of questions here, but that's part of the growing pains. I think we're going to see with this offense in the early part of the season. I want to go to back to Blackman for a second, Bob. Keith, I think you'll disagree because I know where you've been on this. But the basic question is, when you're not playing in full stadiums with lots of noise and energy and potentially emotions, does that make it easier for Blackman to control his emotions when it basically, it's going to be like a spring game? I mean, I know they're going to dress it up and the AC say, said you can poke, uh, pipe noise in, but it's not going to be what we're used to, whether you're at home or on the road. You know, it's a fair point, but I think James builds his own emotion because he's such a fiery guy. He's just got that. That's the way he's wired. And I think it's going to be funny to watch him on September 12th. You know, how does he keep those moments in check when he finds success and, and when failure, you know, comes to? I'm not sure the crowd is going to be a huge factor for him at all. I think it's going to be him having to learn to keep the emotions in check, but also those other guys around him because he's got – so many young running backs, so many young receivers. You know, again, we're going to see how many first-time starters on the offensive line. It's certainly going to be a new group of five. So it's not just James keeping the emotions in check, but also leading, you know, leading those around him. And you're right, Tommy. You do know me. I know. I did chuckle, though, when the ACC announced that they're going to allow artificial noise because I'm thinking just about everywhere we go on the road – there's a small band and there's an amplifier in front of them that's magnifying the sound across the stadium. Maryland used to do it. I mean, they would make Bird Stadium as loud as could be because it's like you're walking into a club and they got so many speakers there, you know. And even Clemson on third downs, they're playing We Will Rock You to get them into it. 
I guess what I'm really saying is not everybody has the marching chiefs to uh, generate authentic sound. I'll leave it at that. So James Blackman's getting the headlines right now, Bob, but really the story is camp broke was Josh Kando. And that's not insignificant because I think every conversation about the defense over the last seven or eight months has been, well, secondary is really deep, really got a chance to be good. Seems like the linebackers are improving. The defensive tackles, there might not be a better group in the country, but I don't know about the pass rush. And now all of a sudden you break camp and there, it seems like Josh can I mean, it doesn't seem like he obviously had a great camp if they're giving him the honor to break the rock as has been documented. That's a really positive development for Kando and FSU. Never a question of talent, I think, with Kando, because when you're, you're 6'7", 250, you've got wingspan and, and you have speed. You, know, you always look at that, that, that talent and you say, wow, what, what can be when he's, when he's healthy and, and capable of, of getting to the quarterback? Yeah, I think everything around you on defense is really good if you can get that pass rush off the edge. It's, it's a big question mark. But to hear that he's basically the preseason camp MVP is really a positive. I mean, this is a guy who's a, a veteran, and, you know, the, the light is starting to come on. He knows that, you know, in, in part, this is kind of a, a money year for him. This, this could be a year where he really makes an impression on the NFL scouts. And if he can put together a, a season that has a bunch of sacks and pressures, um, it, it's, it's going to make a real impression on scouts, and it's going to make the job of the linebackers and the secondary way easier. Again, Forsett hasn't had this kind of pass rusher in a few seasons, not since Brian Burns left. And and you can tell what a difference it has made. It, it has made the life of the secondary very, very difficult. And I, I think this is one of probably the, the most positive development to come out of preseason camp is to hear that the coaches are just raving about Josh Kando. There's three things, guys, that jump out at me about that. Bob, you mentioned one of them, uh, and that being as you get older, uh, you get into that junior, and then if you're not quite good enough, you get into that senior campaign. And if you have NFL aspirations, now's the time to turn it on. But two other things. Number one, I, I haven't chronicled this, but I think it's a fair assessment. This might be as healthy as Kendo has ever been in his time at Florida State. He has been nicked up and injured. So he, he's had both of those issues. And lastly, this defense is different than the defense he's been playing in. You take a defensive end and you ask him to make one read, one read, that takes him out of a pass rush. Well, now on certain calls, he doesn't have to worry about anything except getting to the quarterback. And you take that least bit of hesitation away and you make them aggressive as opposed to reading, and that has a huge positive effect as well. Right. These, these guys are best suited for a 4-3 defense. They are not 3-4 drop back in coverage. They're not react. They're pin your ears back and go. And that's, I think that's what a lot of these defensive players are really happy about. They tried to put on their best face with the 3-4. It just clearly wasn't working. You know, injuries, injuries were a huge factor with the defense last year too. But this year, they love the 4-3. I think they see a defense that is suited for their skill sets. And I, I, I genuinely feel like they're ready to show, you know, not just on September 12th, but beyond that they're far better than what they showed as a group last year. I think, I think they probably feel like they were embarrassed by, by the view that the fans have of them collectively as a defense. I think they want to show that they're far better than that. Guys, the vast majority of kids on this team, have a losing record in their career. 
that's never been said about a Florida State player since going all the way back to the mid-'70s. But these kids, in their career, in the games they've participated during their eligibility, they've got a losing record, most of them. They want to change that. Bob, to your, to your, they do, and to your point, Bob, there's too many guys that are going to play in the NFL on that defense to not be better than what we've seen the last two years. And I'm not saying it's the 85 Bears, but there's a lot of guys that are going to get a paycheck at the next level that are shooting up and garnering gold right now on the defense. I'm not going to say it's all 11 are going to get drafted like that 2013 team, but you start to look at the 11 starters and then start to look at the rest of the two deep you can quickly add up that, yeah, at least three out of the four in the defensive line are draft-worthy for sure. The linebackers, a guy like Amari Gaynor, definitely shaping up to be one of the best linebackers that Florida State's had in the last few years. And the secondary is absolutely loaded. Big question to see if Hampson Nasruddin can come back from that major knee injury. You know, what impact can he have initially? Or do you see a guy like Travis Jay early? This is a defense that's absolutely loaded. And again, back at a 4-3 where they can show that skill set. I, I think we all feel like this, this defense is going to take a huge step forward. Here's my question for you, Bob. So it's been reported, you know, Florida State's going to have, what, 20 25% of fans in attendance. That includes 25% of the student allotment. So students are going to have access to 4,000 tickets. Who's in charge of keeping them socially distanced? Does that fall to you? I mean, who's, who's taking care of that to make sure that, that we're six feet apart? I want no part of that. Now, I, I have heard that um, they're going to do chairbacks around Doak um, for, the, you know, for the season ticket holders. So if you are not in a chairback, that means that you have tried to move down and you're not, you're, you're not welcome in that spot along the bench where you are. So how are they going to handle, you know, student tickets and, and everybody around? That's a big question mark. But I, I think you have to come up with a sound plan. And, and the sound plan that they came up with the season ticket holders was a pretty good one. So we're seeing, you know, a lot of the boosters are coming through and they now have an opportunity to not just go to three games, but they can expand and, and buy a second three-game pack. So a lot of fans who were thinking, wow, I, I'm going to miss games for the first time in years, or I'm going to miss my chance to see some of the best games that I want to see, they're going to get that chance to potentially see all six. So I, I think that's a really positive development, too, is that we're starting to see exactly how this stadium is going to fill up socially distanced. And, you know, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun to see. By the way, just for the sake of our listeners, BC, Duke, Carolina, NC State, Pitt, Syracuse, and Wake Forest have all announced no fans at the games. And then FSU, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and Notre Dame are going to have limited. And Virginia and Virginia Tech, I don't think they've said what they're doing yet. So it is it is sort of all over the map. Um, Bob, as we finish up, uh, you mentioned Hamza. That's one question, Mark. In terms of injuries, tight end goes down, freshman offensive lineman goes down, Chubba Purdy. Anything else? that I'm leaving out there from camp in terms or that that's somebody that's not back all the way from last year yet? Yeah, I think you've hit on the highlights. And of course the, the big one we need to underscore is Keyshawn Helton had that big knee injury up at Clemson last year, but he has come all the way back and coach Norvella said he's at full speed. So it will be interesting to see if he indeed is a full go and does start against Georgia tech. I, I would guess, in fairness, these practices are closed for a reason. 
There are probably some injuries that are being quietly hidden. And, and Coach Norvell should use that to his advantage if there is something that uh, has not gotten out, so be it. But I, I think Florida State is going to have the majority of the roster available. Uh, guys like Hams, I think that's the big one that's still kind of hanging out there. Coach Norvell was asked about it on Tuesday, and there's really no substantial update. So that's one we'll be worth definitely watching uh, on September 12th. Keith, you got anything else for Bob, or can we let him off the hot seat? Well, I think uh, the one thing we don't like talking about is there's also at least one and maybe more kids that either had a testing issue or some other type of issue. D.J. Matthews comes to mind that we honestly don't know how much he has play uh, practice, rather, and whether he'll be even eligible to play uh, if he has been cleared from whatever you know it comes about from COVID. Uh, and then, of course, the ACC announced uh, that they'll be testing three times a week and all those other things. And, and you know, that's uncharted waters. You don't know if you're going to lose, you know, three of the five in your running back uh, segment because they test positive on Friday. We'll just have to wait and see. This is a tough one. You know, I've heard there's been a lot of discussion. I think the Big 12 is going with uh, some semblance of a rule where you must have at least a 53-man roster. You must have at least one quarterback and six offensive linemen. You know, there's a big question of will the ACC adopt some similar rules or something that's on the books, not on the books. This is going to be really tough. I'm so happy that the ACC is doing three tests per week. They'll do extensive heart testing if any player does have a positive test to help ensure and protect them before they get back on the field, practice, or playing, that they will be as safe as possible. But, yes, this will be an every Saturday storyline. Who's out there? Who's not out there? Why aren't they out there? And we may just not get an answer. I think that's the unfortunate thing is we're going to have to accept that we may not get those answers. But the one positive overall is we're going to see football. I think we can see football played safely because of this testing, and that's something that we all need. Hey, guys, you think it's interesting, a coincidence, an omen, or D, fill in the blank? that the first play from scrimmage in the first college football game played this year was a touchdown. It was something that uh, created quite the firestorm the other night when it happened. I mean, we've all been waiting for it so long. And then, and it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill touchdown either. I mean, of course, you said the first play, so it figures that it was a decent length. I was just happy to see some football, Keith. It's been a long time. It has. It certainly has. I never thought I'd miss a spring football game, but I could have used one this year just to bridge at least four months <laughs> of this big gap. Hey, he is Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. You can go online, uh, check him out, his work, Patrick Burnham, uh, Jerry Kutz, the rest of the gang. They do a great job following Florida State. Bob, appreciate it. Take care, guys. All right, Keith, we'll come back and continue with Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Florida State football 10 days away, and we're really 
one of the leaders of the team, one of the stars of this football team for the program as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once again, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to Josh Kane, though, who has had a tremendous fall camp. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Doing good. So I, I know by all accounts you did have a good camp. How would you characterize camp overall, the first, you know, the first camp under Coach Norvell? Give us a, a thumbnail uh, description of what it was like. A grind, a super grind. It was intense, very intense, very intense. Even more so than maybe what you anticipated, having gotten to know he and his staff over the last few months? Uh, knowing them, I dare intense do. So I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. <laughs> but, you know, actually knowing it and then actually doing it, two different things. You know, it was, it was a super grind every single second. I'm talking physically and maybe even more mentally than anything. As draining as, draining as that can be, how welcome was that, though? I mean, what, what did you see from you and your teammates in terms of, you know, this is, this is what we need or just understanding that this is what it takes, that sort of thing? It, it's not going to be easy. And I think we got exactly what we needed, you know, is that grind. Like, there's no way to cheat the hard work. You got to put the work in. And that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been putting the work in. Josh, take us back to uh, even before the spring and give us a, an idea of what you did from a rehab standpoint. And were you able to go home during some times and do some rehabilitation back home, or did you stay in Tallahassee? Um, you talk about before the spring? Before yes, Coach Novell got here? Or? Uh, uh, during the, um, the, the early part of 2020 and then after the uh, COVID okay. hit. That, okay. Um. So rehab, um, I was rehabbing well every day. Um, basically, I had to learn how to walk again a little bit because I was—I think I was um, off of my leg for about six weeks, about a month and a half. I couldn't put any pressure on my leg. Right. Lost a little bit of weight and stuff like that, you know. Um, the arch in my foot kind of messed up and things like that. But I had to get size back in my legs for my balance and things like that. And, you know, sometimes it just hurts so bad <laughs> just to move my ankle and, and things like that. But um, I just stuck at it. Uh, it was very, very swollen and stuff. So a lot of icing, a lot of um, heavy mat, and elevation and things like that. Uh. I got some time home once the COVID deal happened, like right when spring break happened. And I was home for, uh, what, about three months. Um, that was a challenge because it was like, where was I going to rehab and, and, and things like that. So I think I had like a, I had a big band and a little band. So <laughs> I would just do as much exercise as I could. Uh, ankle-wise and stuff, and when I went home, that's when I really started working at actually running, but not just running forward and backward, moving laterally and playing and cutting on my ankle. So that time home was actually very good because I felt like I pushed through another barrier because the first part of when I went home, it was very painful and stuff, 
just trying to get used to getting that type of pressure on my ankle again. But it all paid off because it feels so much better now. So much better now. I'm going to make an assumption here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, when you're coming back from something like that, it would be normal that you would have doubts about the return. Was there a point, uh, I'm assuming there were some doubts early on, but but was there a point when you felt 100% confident, okay, I can do this, I'm going to make it all the way back? Uh, when I got hurt, um, and I've been hurt before, but, and I've been through kind of that mental cycle or whatnot. But this time was different. Like I heard, I didn't cry, I didn't pout or anything because I kind of asked myself, like, why? Like, why does God keep putting me in this position? And then I started to see my mind. I was like, okay, why not me? You know, anybody could be out here and get hurt. So when I found out my season was over, that was different because I never had my season taken away from from me before. So the doctors told me when the doctors told me that they expect me to make a full recovery and stuff like that. And I already knew I have to do the rehab and this and that, and it was going to be tough. But I've I've done stuff like that before. I was just like, okay, the biggest thing I need to focus on is really my mental because I know that my body is going to heal itself. And I'm going to trust the doctor. They said I'm going to make a full recovery. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do my part. I'm going to listen to what they say. I'm going to do my rehab. And I'm going to work on my mind and be in good spirit because I feel like that is just as, if not more important. And, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't doubt that I could come back. I didn't doubt it. Josh, as you get ready to uh, kick against Tech in 10 days, how, how excited, how comfortable – are you with this quote-unquote new 4-3 defense? Excited. Definitely excited. I haven't played football in a long time. <laughs> you know, so it's happy. I mean, I said I'm happy to just even get the chance to play the game again, you know. Just that's the world to me. Um, how comfortable? Um, I think the confidence – that we're going to have is going to come from knowing the defense, being prepared and, and things like that. Um, we've been doing very well, uh, learning the new scheme and, and whatnot. So definitely excited. And as long as we keep working hard and keep executing our defensive scheme and stuff like that, that's where the comfort is going to come out of that. And that's up to us how much we put into it is what we're going to get out of it, you know. We're talking with Josh Kane. I appreciate a few minutes of his time. Two-part question here, Josh. Describe Coach Fuller, and then the second part is same thing, but des- describe Coach Papuchas. <laughs> Coach Fuller. Coach Fuller, uh, he's from up north, you know, like me, but he's from further up north. Uh, Coach Fuller is a, a very cool guy, you know, off the field, but still a very – intense you know a very sharp dude you know when he talks everybody listens he's very assertive and but like i said at the same time you talk to him one-on-one and you know that you know he really cares about you and he really cares about us as a whole and coach jp 
<laughs> Coach JP from Maryland, that's my boy. <laughs> I, met, I think I met Coach JP when I was in like 10th grade. He was at another school and whatnot. But end of with Coach JP, I think, and our, all of our coaches in general, they're all such good men, good people, you know? When you're talking to them one on one off the field, and I feel like I'm not just going to sit here and say they care about us. They show that they care about us with their actions on and off the field, you know what I'm saying? But Coach JP and all of our coaches, even Coach Fuller, when it's time to go, it's time to go, you know? They hold us to a very high standard, and that's what it is. The standard is the standard. So either you got to hop on board, and if not, you're going to have a tough time. But Coach JP, very, very smart dude, very intellectual dude. And all of our coaches, the way they break down the game, the IQ and and all that stuff. They're very smart men, very good men. Josh, you don't know this about me. I grew up in Wildwood, Florida, uh, before I came to Florida State to play ball. But you and I are homeboys because I was actually born in Bethesda, Maryland. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> now, I consider myself a Southern kid because I came to Florida when I was about four years of age. But uh, we, we have that right. unique tie. So we, uh, we, we got to right, have right. a special handshake next time we get together. <laughs> yes, sir. If we're allowed to, if we're allowed to have handshakes ever again, Keith, right? That's true. <laughs> Josh, you you talked about the standard, and and obviously, you met the standard during fall. You may have set the standard during fall based on the honor that Coach Norvell uh, placed on you last week with the sledgehammer to break the rock. Tell us a little bit about when you got introduced to that tradition, because that's new for Florida State fans. And what kind of an honor it was for you? Well, well, we when we all came out to practice that day, everybody was signing the rock. And I just I went to sign the rock. They had a 1% on it. You know, it tried to be 1% better each day. And had a hammer next to it. So I was like, okay, this rock is going to get broken at some point. You know, but I really didn't know what it was for. But okay, I'm gonna sign it, and everything was normal after that. Uh, practice, the last practice, uh, intense practice, and stuff like that. Then uh, after practice, and he started talking about the rock and this and that, and he said he's gonna call out somebody to break it, and I honestly didn't think it would be me. And he called my name. <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised that I didn't even lie. And to break it, it was cool. It was kind of like a reminder. My dad always tells me, and he's told me since I was little, that hard work doesn't go unnoticed. That's what I like to do. I like to just try to handle my business to the best of my ability. Kind of more of a lead, lead by example type of dude. So that's why I just try to handle my business. And sometimes it, or all the time, it doesn't feel like anybody notices it but me, you know. So breaking that rock to me was just a reminder of what my dad told me. The hard work doesn't go unnoticed. So if you just stay down and keep doing your thing, keep working hard every day, even when times get tough and this is good or bad, people notice it, you know, and you'll get rewarded for it, you get recognized for it. So it was just, it was pretty cool. I'm not even going to lie to you, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool 
to do it, but it was cool to have my teammates around me cheering, having the coach just cheering, just having everybody cheering. I feel like I made everybody proud, and I also made myself proud too. And it makes me want to just, just keep doing what I'm doing, keep staying on that same path, work even harder. Congratulations on that honor, Josh. Last question, and we'll let you get going. I know the time you came to FSU, Florida State had just won the Orange Bowl. Your first ever game was against Alabama, the GOAT game in Atlanta. And then other things, when you look at the last couple of years, they didn't unfold the way they that you expected. And I won't ask you to, to relitigate or relive those years. But, but as you go into this campaign, what excites you the most about your opportunity, this defense, this team, Coach Norvell, just the general state of the program right now? I feel like we are in control of our own destiny. It's not anybody else's, us. And I'm not even talking about the coaches. I'm talking about us on the field. Because at the end of the day, the coaches are going to coach and the coaches are going to hold us accountable, as always. But are we going to hold ourselves accountable, you know? So I feel like we can be as good as we want to be. And that's going to depend on how hard we work, how hard we want it or how bad we want it, and things like that. So Coach Novell always tells us to control what you can control. And we can control uh, this uh, COVID-19 deal. Nobody could control that. And everything's just been – it's been a grind. Like, I haven't, I didn't do the spring and stuff, but I watched my boys go through it, and I cheered on the side and things like that. I will do my rehab. And we've been putting in work. We've been sacrificing and stuff like that. So I'm just excited and eager to see us go out and do what we know we can do. Just control we can control. You know, respect every opponent. But at the end of the day, and stuff is not going to be perfect and stuff like that, but how are we going to respond to stuff? How are we going to do this and that? And since Coach Norville's been here, we've been responded pretty well, I would say. So can we not only can we keep that same standard, but can we push it to a new level? Can we bring it to a new level? Because we know we can do it, but it's not gonna be easy. Nothing's easy. Like I said, everything is about the work. So we're gonna keep working, especially when times get hard. And if we do have some success, are we still gonna keep that same mindset? Like we don't wanna just win, we wanna dominate. We want to dominate people. We don't want to just beat them. But I'm excited to take the field with all of my teammates, my brothers, my coaches, everybody on staff, and just have fun. Right? At the end of the day, I feel like we we just go out and have fun. And the fun is in the winning, you know. But if we do that, and we can control our own destiny, we can we can do something special. Enjoy the ride, and we appreciate your time, Josh. Thanks so much for a few minutes of your time. No problem. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Best of luck. Had a, had a great fall. Keith, Keith will take a break, come back, and react to that on Front Row Knowles. I was flying. Yeah, running down a dream.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Just a few minutes to finish things up. Keith, good interview there with uh, Josh Kando. Uh, it's it's always you know this this year even even different with with COVID and and players being home and in different places. But whenever you're injured, especially for him, it happened in the third game of the year last year. All of a sudden, you're 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 just isolated, and and even if you're around your teammates, you don't feel like you're one of them. So it's a long road back, and and obviously he's had a good rehab and had a great camp, and that's that's potentially. I mean, of all the things. Of all the questions we had going into this year defensively, I feel like the biggest one has been, what about the what about the edge? What about the rush there? And it feels like we feel pretty good about where we're at right now, based on what Josh has done. Well, you had a, you had an idea about what might, you might have in J. Rob and, and how he could, if he continued to improve, what he could do. But you're right. The question was, could Kendo come back and and reach any level of uh, productivity? And not only did he reach the level of productivity, he has excelled. And I think the bigger thing, and this speaks to his fact, we didn't get into it with him, but he's very strong in the classroom. He's a, he's a very bright student, uh, majoring in sociology, and, and at one point had uh, aspirations maybe of medical career. Uh, we'll see what happens with that going forward. But he's very good in the classroom. And, and working on that mental aspect, which Norvell has been preaching, I mean, you can say what you want to, but the kids are certainly parroting the message that they've received. Now, whether they can translate that onto the field, we got to wait and see. But uh, they know what they've been instructed. He's 6'7", by the way, Keith. I mean, he was a five-star coming out. So this is why he's one of the guys that's had the label of potential. And it's it, he hasn't gotten there yet for one reason or another, big part of it being injuries. But if, he, if, if, if that's who he is, that's a huge difference for this FSU team. And I, and I don't know, we haven't seen him because we haven't been able to be at practices, but I have been told that he's actually, he mentioned losing some weight and that type of thing during the rehab. He was playing at about 265, 270 last year. I'm told he's plus or minus 250 this year. That doesn't sound like much, but 6'7", 250 will allow you to be very, very quick off the ball and still maintain enough mass to defend the run if you have to. Yeah, it was good. Appreciate the few minutes of his time. And he got to be – he'll forever go down as the, the first guy of the Norvell era that got to break the rock with the sledgehammer, right? So we got a new tradition now we have to – I was going to ask him, you know, this sounds crazy, but growing up like I did, was that the first time he'd ever have a sledgehammer in his hand? I mean, that's not a tool that you use quite often. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I didn't ask him that. I thought about it. Well, my fear would be, what if I swing in it, then the rock doesn't break, right? But <laughs> I don't think we have that worry. <laughs> so you don't go to the carnival and try to make the uh, ball go up and ring the bell? That's probably that about is. the last time I picked up a sledgehammer. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> All right, Keith, just a minute or so to wrap things up. Uh, you know, I, I pointed this out when the schedule came out, but had, had the season started normal time frame, it would be this Saturday. And coaches always say – you know, well, it's time to find out what we got. But but deep down in there, they wish they had more time to clean up what they're still seeing. Well, we've got that one last week. I mean, I know they're doing install, but you still have an extra four days next week to really button things up before that first game. I think that's a win, especially with no spring for this team. 
I agree. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, while the fans that are able to come, the kids that are able to come are probably going to be complaining about that 330 kick with the heat. Uh, I, I think that also benefits Florida State with extra week of practice and Tallahassee humidity. Um, I, I think this team is poised to be as good as it can be. Am I saying they can, you know, whip Clemson and, and, and go and have a perfect season and play for the national championship? No. But I do believe this will be a much improved team. And the way that they improve, I think our fan base is going to be ha- very happy when they see it. Keith, I think this was my most enjoyable, our most enjoyable. Well, I can't speak for you. I've enjoyed this show more than about any other we've done in the last six months, if you know what I'm saying. Because we, we can football. talk football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Keith, we'll do it again next week, and we'll talk more football. Look forward to it. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control.